0: I love the large clock in the back, and you'll love that too. Amen. It is my honor, it is my joy to be with you this morning. I am thankful to be here, and to be called a friend by your pastor means more to me than I can express. It is just a joy to be here this morning. Turn with me to Mark chapter number 4. As you're turning, thank you for the wonderful music. And for the sweet welcome to to myself and my family, we are simply delighted to be here. And I can't stress that enough. Mark chapter number 4. Let's stand to reverence the reading of the Word of God. This will also give us a chance to stretch our legs one last time. I have learned in evangelism it is much easier to fall asleep standing up than it is sitting down. Uh, So, as we stand to reverence the reading of the Word of God, I hope that we will be in reverence of it. Beginning in verse number 21 of Mark 4. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, even what He has will be taken away. Lord, as we stand to reverence Your Word, as we, Lord, have the privilege of standing in this place where the Gospel is proclaimed, Lord, we recognize our frailty, Lord, our neediness, Lord, as we desire greatly to be used of You as the Holy Spirit guides us through Your Word. May the Spirit be our teacher this morning. And may Your Word go forth in in power and in demonstration of the Holy Spirit as we sit, as we meditate. And Lord, I pray we worship around Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This may be a very strange question to ask on a Sunday morning, but have you ever wondered what the Lord was doing? I wonder if we this morning are honest enough with with ourselves, and and maybe even our neighbors if, if we say it out loud. I wonder what the Lord is doing right now. You see, it's at this moment in Jesus' earthly ministry that the disciples of Jesus were were in that same state. So, if you're there this morning, you're not alone. For they were confounded by Jesus' actions, His his words, and His method. Taking in the mood of this portion of Scripture, I think they were even questioning the end results of Jesus' ministry. You see, they were unsettled concerning what, what this ministry they, they were watching was producing. On one hand, they, they seemed convinced that Jesus is the Christ and that He does in fact possess the words of eternal life. And they heard Him preach and teach with authority. They watched Him heal diseases and cast out demons. They They heard Him call men to follow Him, and they did so. And by the way, that was not an easy task. We are looking at men this morning who left everything they had ever known to answer this very difficult call. But despite recognizing the rather revealing characteristics of Jesus' ministry, they find themselves, even as you and I many times find ourselves, in a season of varying and even confusing results. For there are some, like themselves, who seem to be very sincere. They are acquainted with people who are following Jesus just like they have and continue to follow Him. But then there's the crowd. We're not really sure about the crowd. We, we think that they want to faithfully follow Jesus, but as we peer into Scripture, it may be that the crowd actually wants Jesus more for the blessings He can provide than who He truly is. But then there's Jesus' own family. The folks who seem to know him best. And it's in this moment that they're even right now actively trying to reel him in. They think Jesus has lost his mind. They're trying to protect Jesus from himself and even put an end to this whole ministry thing. And then to maybe add to this very difficult occasion. You have the Pharisees and the Herodians. The religious and the political leaders of the day who are now openly rejecting Jesus, they have now publicly accused this Jesus of being possessed by Satan, doing the works of the devil. And of course we know in the underlying theme they're plotting to destroy him. So let's put our feet in the shoes of the disciples. I hope you would agree with me, these were very confusing days. How can it be that the Christ, the promised one, is now here, and it's His own people, and many of these people, even the people who seem to know Him best, in this moment, they're openly rejecting Him. Couldn't Jesus do something to produce a different result. But then what Jesus does probably leaves them even more confused. Because rather than seeing this unfolding unbelief, seeing this rejection, and going forth in a dramatic way to change everybody's mind, rather than working His sovereign power to get everyone on His side, He begins to teach in parables. In parables. Christ says that teaching in these parables is a kind of judgment against those who do not believe because the parables, in essence, serve to, to cloak the truth of his teaching for those who have already rejected him. We can go back to the 12th verse of Mark 4 so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Can you imagine the level of confusion these disciples are are, are operating in in this moment? They're looking at this savior, the one they've left everything to follow. And they're asking, why is he working in this way? In contrast to the way He's teaching the crowd. He's teaching them who've rejected Him in parables. And then He turns back to His disciples and He explains to them the secrets of the kingdom. And these disciples, as He's explaining these parables, He's doing so so that they may understand while the rejecting crowd is remaining in darkness well, at least He's teaching us. (laughs) But I don't think that made them feel any better about this parabolic ministry. You see, I'm sure it raised many questions among the disciples. Maybe questions like, does this make Jesus like one of those mystery religion figures that were so common in the Greco-Roman world? Is this just a secret society where secret knowledge is only given to a few? Are we going to become God's secret agents with a mission of attempting to entice people to join this maybe secret club so that we could be this elite group that alone has these secrets to the kingdom? These are some of the questions, no doubt, that were raised because this type of Gnostic teaching was very common in the Greco-Roman world. Just because it was common... Doesn't it mean it was correct. Right. Nor did it square with the Old Testament teachings of Christ. Right. The picture that was given, I'm sure they recalled to mind Isaiah 49 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. But how does this parabolic ministry with the secrets of the kingdom given only to a few, how does this fit the Old Testament prophecies? I'm sure they looked at one another. Like you and I look at each other on occasion. What is Jesus doing here? What's going on? Because he's ministering with mixed results. Some are kept in the dark, some are receiving the secrets of the kingdom. These disciples were confused. They don't know what He's doing. They don't understand why it's happening the way it's happening. But I want you to hear me this morning. There is a method in the madness. There's a method in the madness. And Jesus expresses that method in the portion of Scripture you and I read together. For in these few, very paramount verses of New Testament text, Jesus is clearing up, maybe with the great precursor of the Great Commission, what He's doing in the world then, and what He's doing in the world now. For we do not serve a passive Savior. But even in this moment as well as the moment you and I are living in, His hands are on ten and two, and His foot is on the accelerator. Verse 21 of our text. Who is He speaking to? And He said unto them. It's these confused disciples. We 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 know who he's talking to. But we must answer the rhetorical opening question. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? And we all know the obvious answer to the question No. It would be absurd. To light a lamp in a dark place, only to hide the light, leaving everyone in darkness. But notice, number one, the imagery. What is the lamp? We know that it isn't to be hidden under a basket or a bed, but to be put on a stand. And based upon what Scripture says everywhere else... I think Jesus has three things in mind when He speaks about this lamp. It's not meant to be hidden, but it's meant to shine forth. First, He's speaking about Himself. He's speaking about His own person. He is the lamp that is not meant to be hidden, but is intended to be put on a stand. And this seems to be the primary application of the passage. And it's seen in multiple places, isn't it? Yeah. Matthew four sixteen, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Well, what is that light? Well, we can be thankful that light is the very presence of Jesus Himself among them. John one four, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Verse 9: the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is that light. This was not just the way New Testament authors spoke about Jesus. This is the way Jesus spoke about himself. John 8:12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's this kind of language all throughout Scripture that leads to this conclusion. Jesus speaks about a light that is meant not to be hidden, but rather to be put on a stand. And He's first and foremost speaking about Himself. But I also want us to see, secondly, at the same time, He seems to be talking about the Word of God. In particular, he's talking about the Word of his own preaching and teaching and parables because he's been talking about the great seed of the Word of God that is sown by the sower and it's sown amongst the the hearts of the people. He's given this teaching about the Word of God. Again and again, the Scriptures speak about the Word of God as the great light. Psalm 119, 105. It's His Word that is a lamp unto our feet. We can quote it, and a light to our path. Proverbs six twenty three. For the commandments is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So Jesus sees here His own person as the great light of the Lord. And the words that proceed from His mouth, he, seems, he sees them as the very lamp or light of God as well. You see, they are the lamp under our feet. It's His Word that leads us as our light. But thirdly, there seems to be a sense in the Scripture that He's not only speaking about Himself and the Word of God, But I hope you see this. He's talking about us. Those of us who are saved. It's those who have received and believed the Word. They believe in the testimony of Jesus, from, from Jesus, about Jesus. And when we believe in the lamp of the Word, we then become the light of the world. And we, the believing church, now shines forth as the light of God in a dark place. Again, we can go back to John 8, 12. What about Matthew 5? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put, it on, or, but put it on a stand and gives light to all the house. In that same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think the Apostle Paul picks up on this theme about Jesus being the light of the world. The Word of God is the very light and lamp of God which illuminates the believer and enables us to be the light of the world. Philippians 2.15 That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. Jesus is the lamp. Hear me this morning. He is the light of the world. He is the lamp of God. Jesus preaches the word of God, which is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. And as the church believes this testimony, we become that very light of the world. So do you bring a lamp into the world only to hide it under a bushel basket? No. So Jesus is asking, would I, being the light of the world, come into this world only to have my presence hidden under a basket or a bed? No. We've heard the children sing it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We're not going to hide it, but it must shine. Would Jesus preach the Word of God, the eternal light of God, in order to have the light hidden under a basket or a bed? Again and again and again. No. Jesus has His people who believe in Him and they believe in His Word. He has illumined them with the light of His salvation. And it's not meant to be hidden. So why the parables? You see, these parables are taught in public, but they're only gradually revealing the secrets of the kingdom to a private group at this period of time. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. What Jesus is saying is, yes, it may be hidden now, But it won't forever be. We see the imagery. But notice his sovereignty. In order for us to understand the full scope of this passage, we must ask ourselves this question why is Jesus working in this way? We have to remember that we benefit from the full story. For Jesus did not come into the world just to preach. As important as it was for Jesus to come and proclaim the word of the kingdom, ultimately He came into the world to save people from their sins. And this was not ultimately accomplished through His sermons, but rather through the substitutionary death on the cross for our sins. It was through His being raised to life, victorious over sin and death and hell. And here in His earthly ministry, Jesus has a very remarkable challenge before Him. For He has to order all things in such a way that He puts the truth of the gospel out there in such a way that it can be heard and understood, but veiled for a season. Because at the same time, we've got to remember Jesus is ordering all of the events in history. And He's doing so that it may all play out in the proper fashion. So that in the fullness of time, He can be rejected and despised and arrested and falsely convicted and sentenced to death, tortured, crucified, buried, and then raised again on the third day. But in order for all of this to happen in perfect accordance with the Scripture at every step along the way, we must remember on this side of the text, Jesus has to know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it all. For even in this very moment, Jesus is marching toward the cross. And hear me today. He's not a victim of circumstances that were beyond His control. Again, as we celebrate the the crucifixion and even the, the resurrection, He was not a victim. But He is the victor. For this is not a case of someone letting things get away from them. He's not saying on His way to the cross, maybe I should have just done something differently. (laughs) No, Jesus is marching to the cross. And He's doing so as the sovereign maestro of the orchestra. He's over all the players. Even those players that don't know they're in the symphony. (laughs) Because there's a method to the madness. You see, it's in accordance to His perfect wisdom and sovereign rule that He has determined that this is a season where the fullness of the gospel is being veiled. They are being hidden in plain sight. And this is a time when Jesus will speak cryptic phrases and parables so that the word of the gospel and the word of the kingdom can go forth, but be hidden from the masses, hidden from the unbeliever, hidden from the Pharisee and the scribe in a way that hardens those who do not believe and actually offers salvation to those who do. For Jesus was all of this going forth in a way that allows the truth of the gospel to proceed but also allows the events of history to go forth in such a way that will ultimately culminate in His crucifixion and His resurrection. When we think about all of this. I wonder if we echo the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 11. Oh the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. And how inscrutable His ways. You see, that's what Jesus is up to. Could I suffice to say, as Jesus is giving this explanation concerning the parabolic ministry of Himself, He's simply telling them, don't worry, don't worry. Everything that is hidden, and there are some things that are being hidden. He says, I've, I've just gotten through saying that things are being hidden from the masses, and He's revealing the secrets of the kingdom unto them. But everything that is secret will be made manifest. And everything that is hidden will be declared in the open. For what He could declare to us, but couldn't to even His disciples yet is this when I died for the sins of the world, when I've been raised from the dead, all of this hidden speech will give way to an open and clear declaration of the truth. And I'll declare to you this entire truth for what is hidden will be made manifest. 2 Corinthians 4, 2. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul goes on to say, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case... who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the call for the church today. The season of hiddenness has given way to the season of open declaration and we are to preach the full gospel of God. It's Christ. It's Him crucified. And it's Him risen. But who do we preach it to? To the rich and to the poor, the young, the old, educated, uneducated. We must preach it to the Jew and to the Gentile, the liberal, the conservative, the legalist as well as the lawless. We must preach this gospel to the native as well as to the immigrant. For we declare to all whosoever believeth in His name should not perish, but have everlasting life. For the Christian gospel is not a secret knowledge for an elite group who who, who are privy to the inside scoop. But it's an open declaration to all. It's a light to the nations. So here in Mark 4, Jesus is saying, hold tight, disciples. Get ready for that day. But as we stand here on this side of the resurrection. We're hearing echoing. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the day. What sovereignty. What imagery. Let me close with this. In our text there's an admonition. Verses 23 through 25. In the immediate context, I think Jesus is saying to his disciples, though I am speaking cryptic, though I am speaking in parable, though I am using speech that hides the message from the unbeliever, I'm not speaking nonsense. And I'm certainly not speaking falsehood. And in these parables, I am speaking the truth of the gospel. And as my ministry progresses, I will tell you more and more and more. We can be thankful this morning that our Savior, our Jesus, doesn't waste words. Although we may feel empty, He will not leave you there. He said, if you listen to my parabolic speech, I will give you understanding. And the more you understand and the more you give yourself to understand, the more you will be able to understand. For if you give yourself to these parables, more will be given unto you. You will receive more and more, and still yet more will be added. To these disciples He is saying, If you will receive more and more throughout my earthly ministry, and after my resurrection, you will receive the Spirit of God, and He will lead you into all truth. And I will explain to you why Christ had to suffer and die. And I will teach you all the things of the Scripture regarding Myself. He's telling these disciples, you'll be my witnesses. For you are the light of the world to Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria. And the uttermost parts of the world. So preacher, what does this have to do with me? I began by asking a very strange question. Especially for a Sunday morning. Have you ever wondered what Jesus was doing? Jesus is saying, so listen now. In this moment, study now. Use the full measure of study and prayer and ask questions that you may understand and what you will understand more and more in the days to come. Even more will be added. So pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added. Full measure of prayer, study, seeking counsel. Pursuing the wisdom of others that you might read and hear and then read and hear again. And pray that insight will be granted. And then when you do, more will be given which will enable you to understand more. For the one who has, more will be given. This Jesus is saying to His disciples and to us, pay attention, study, pray, so that you might have ears, truly hear the Word. Why is this happening in my life? Some of you may, even recently, and Brother Jesse and I haven't talked about this, but you may have even come to to your pastor or maybe... Someone with wisdom in the church. I just don't understand why. You know there are times in in each and every one of our lives. When it seems like what we should know is hidden. I just don't understand. Pray, study, seek counsel, pursue wisdom. Because ultimately, what you're facing and what I'm facing is meant for the salvation of the nations. It's to make us more like Jesus so that we will share. That Jesus with others. I don't understand it. Many of us have said that, haven't we? But we know Him. I don't know how we've made it through it. I don't know how we've gone this far. (laughs) But I know Him. And I can trust Jesus. So be thankful today that we have the glorious privilege of being on this side of the resurrection. From our perspective, when we look back on passages like this, we can say, well, I guess He knew what He was doing all along. And many of us in the days ahead, when we look back on those difficult days, will say that very same thing. Because He's got the whole thing in His hands. You see, we can trust him with every word, the clear ones and the unclear ones. But may it be our prayer that we understand the word more fully, that the fullness of our life will be lived out for the word and for his glory. And I believe it'll be then that we realize more fully that there is a method in the madness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We do not fully understand what You're doing in every aspect of our lives. But You draw us closer to Your Word, seemingly, in times of adversity. being unclear, almost a complete, perfect stranger to this congregation. We're not sure what folks face. But we can be sure that Your grace is sufficient. Oh, that we would throw ourselves at Your Word. Lord, that we would pray and study and seek counsel and pursue the wisdom of others and as you give more Lord may we desire for more to be given not that we would be placed on some pedestal but that our knowledge of God that our focus on Christ would deepen and be more clear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Yes, sir. Math class in college. One day our professor came in, and it was some kind of algebra class or something. Our professor, our math teacher came in, and he was part of a club for mathematicians where every so often they would email him a math problem. And that morning before class, just for fun, he showed us the math problem that he was trying to solve. And no joke, it was on a projector screen, more like the one we have in the back, but it was on a projector screen, and that problem filled up that whole screen. And I looked at that screen And it looked about like that. It was a whole bunch of letters, and I didn't know what any of them meant. And I looked at that, and I thought, I have no idea what this is. I have no understanding of what I'm looking at right now. But if I could have shadowed that math teacher, which I had no interest in doing, but if I would have shadowed that math teacher, if I could have learned how to think the way he thinks, if I could learn how to solve problems and learn formulas the way he knew all of those things, eventually, that would have made some kind of sense to me. As Brother Zach was preaching, I went back to that day in math class, and I wondered how many of you right now are looking at your life, and you feel like it's just a jumble of letters that makes no sense. I wonder how many of you are trying to figure out God's plan for where you are, and you're thinking this is never going to come together. And maybe what you need today is not so much understanding. Maybe you just need to shadow the teacher. Maybe you don't need to figure it all out today, but maybe you need to do what Jesus said, pay attention. Eventually it'll become clear, and you'll get there. I wonder how many of you today, honestly, maybe this is your first time back in church for a long time. Maybe it's the first time in church ever. And you look at this Bible stuff and this Jesus stuff, and you think, this might as well be advanced calculus to me because this makes no sense. Jesus' words to you today are, pay attention. Listen. Seek the truth. And little by little, He'll bring you along to what you need to know. So I want us to stand together today before we have our invitation. And I want every head bowed and every eye closed And I just want to ask you, how many of you would be honest, first of all? And you would just put your hand up. And I've got to put my hand up this morning. And say, there are some things in life that I just do not understand about what Jesus is doing. Would you put your hand up? Hands going up all over the building. I'm going to invite you to come right now. Slip out of this, out of your seat. Come to this altar. If I can pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. If we need to talk later this week, maybe, or this afternoon, I'd love to do that. But just come and say, Lord, help me just to listen. Help me just to listen and to understand. How many of you might have to put up your hand and say, I just don't understand what Jesus is talking about in the Bible. I just don't understand the gospel. I just don't understand any of this. But I'd like to. I want to know more. Would you put your hand up? I want to pray for you today. Lord, help us, we pray in these moments, to pay attention, even when we don't understand. Trusting the promise that as we understand a little bit, you're going to give us more. Lord, help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.